Hello, and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh with today's encouraging word titled, Stand Firm in Love. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's say a prayer together. Father, we we want you to speak to us by your Holy Spirit and bring about wonderful fruit as a result of that that would bring glory to your name and much help to other individuals. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message is Stand Firm in Love, and I have a couple of scriptures that are sort of what I would call texts. Now, Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And that's where I get the title of this message, We Must Stand Firm in Our Love and Not Allow It to Grow Cold. And then Solomon wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 3, Uh, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear down and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Well, I believe that uh, we're in a time that calls for us to renew our love for God and people. And that's my first point. So who really is the problem? Uh, While we grumble about the Chinese or the governors who are too restrictive or the courts that make wrong decisions or a mayor who lets uh, anti-anarchists take over six blocks of a major city, you know, we may be thinking the problem is them, the problem is them. Uh, Truly, iniquity is abounding in these end times, and that's a sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Jesus did warn that we should beware of false prophets. But let's not overlook his warning that in a time of great iniquity, the number one danger for us, our number one problem, would be our own love growing cold. That's the most dangerous thing. So can you fix the Democrats or can you fix the Republicans? Can you unconfuse all the people who are mixed up about their gender identities? Can you make all the police tender and loving? Can you give uh, common sense to the rioters who burn down their own neighborhoods? Well, speaking up might help. Like the Bible said, there's a time to speak. Uh, But our calls for common sense carry far more spiritual power when we're actually living a life of love. Uh, when it, it's when we speak the truth in love that we grow up in Christ in all things. That's Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Now, Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. And Peter wrote, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 1 Peter 2.12. Now, we need to practice love that can be seen at the same time that we speak the truth in love. That's a mouthful. That's a real sentence, so I want to say that again. We need to practice love that can be seen 
at the same time, we speak the truth in love. And so we all need to concentrate on love right now. Now, of course, you could concentrate on despair, hopelessness, and things like that. You could concentrate on getting out of the city, buying a cabin, fortifying it, growing your own food, and thinking about your own survival. And I'm not saying that would be stupid, but I'm saying the main thing to focus on and think about is how you can walk in love. I read, uh, I read the news daily to see the areas that I need to pray about. And even from conservative news outlets, it looks like the news is mostly bad. Now, that may be because the news sources leave out all the good stuff. I happened to find a story from CBN News, Christian Broadcasting Network. That's, you know, Pat Robertson. Uh, but they had a story of a revival breaking out on the very street corner where George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. That's the black man that was arrested and the policeman kneeled on his neck for almost nine minutes and he died. And, of course, then there's been riots all over America and all over the world, really, uh, protesting that. Well, at that very street corner, there's been a revival where whites and blacks were washing each other's feet. And the gospel was being preached. People were getting saved. The blacks and whites were loving each other. Now, you didn't hear that. I just bet you didn't hear that. It happened to be on CBN News. See? Well, what I'm saying is, if you just feed on the regular news networks, you're probably not going to hear what God is doing. You'll just hear bad stuff. And, of course, you can use that to pray, but don't let it drive you into despair. Now, the Bible says that a perfect love drives out fear. So in a time when we could get fearful for the future, it would be a lot better for us to concentrate not on the bad things that might come to us, but the good things we are going to do for others in love. Now, one morning, I had read a bunch of news, and I was trying to pray, and everything just looked hopeless and depressing. <laughs> I read so much news, <laughs> I got depressed. So what could I do? I just laid down on the bed, and I was praying there. And, uh, and while I was praying like that, God beamed some words into me. Now, God is light, the Bible says. So sometimes when he communicates, it's what I call a silent impression of spiritual light. It just comes in. You don't hear audible words. But these words were impressed on me, a time for love. And I believe it's not a time for hate. It's not a time for us to give up things as lost. It's a time for love. You know, I immediately felt better. And I knew that if I concentrated on showing God's love to people, I'd be okay because I'd be with God and God would be with me. And I want to ask each of you, would you concentrate on showing God's love right now? Of all the things you could concentrate on, that'd probably be the most important because then God would be with you and you would be with love. Now, my sec you'd be with God, I'm seeing. Now, my second point is racism is the devil's hatred of people. You see... There's no racism at all in the kingdom of God. And when we talk, uh, when we walk with God, we share his delight in various races and the things that make them unique. So, you know, I've preached in Africa and India. Uh, I just love all the different kinds of people. I love all the different kinds of accents. 
I feel God's delight in mankind. Now, the Bible says regarding Jesus, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, Revelations 5, 9. And then again, John writes, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. <laughs> now, believe me, there's no racism there. All right? No, they're all together. They all love each other. They've all been redeemed and uh, God delights in everyone. Now, from the book of Proverbs, the wisdom is speaking, but that's actually like the word, everlasting word of God, we could say Jesus. And so it says, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now that's the way Jesus feels about people. He just delights in all the different races. And that doesn't mean he delights in sin when they're being mean and ornery. But, uh, well, let me continue. When, uh, when we are likewise at God's side, we're in his presence, we rejoice with him. And we delight in all the different nations, tribes, tongues, and races. He made them all. He delights in them all. Now, there's one website that I check on. That, uh, I find some positive stuff. It's a prophetic website called hiskingdomprophecies.com. It's mainly by a lady named Veronica West from England. Uh, and she seems like the real deal to me. I haven't seen any false doctrine. or, or she, I mean, she claims God speaks to her a lot, but what she says that he says sounds legitimate to me. And, uh, you know, I'm a teacher. I, most of the stuff I get from God it, uh, doesn't come in a spectacular vision. But there are people who have a ministry like that. And, uh, and the prophetic ministry doesn't teach anything to say. It's a, it's a completely different ministry. And so I respect what God uses her to do. Now, one day she said, I asked the Lord a question. And she says, I said, Father, why did you not just create everyone the same color? If you had done that, surely there would have been less fighting, murder, violence, and hatred on the earth. No sooner had that question come out of my mouth when the Lord answered me, saying, When I created mankind, I created him after my own image. Every tribe, tongue, and nation created after my own image. For I am not a one-dimensional God, but I am multifaceted and multidimensional, and therefore I am multiracial and multicultural. I reveal my diversity through all my creations like that of a diamond, the more cuts it has, the greater the light display. And so it is with my glory with creation. The greater the facets, the greater the display of my glory on the earth. Beloved, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, for mine are higher and greater than yours. Beloved, I hate any form of racism, for when my people reject one another, they surely reject the very image and nature of the one who created them. Daughter, the power of love must always rise up to confront the power of hatred. And surely I tell you, love will conquer every divide and will build a bridge over every troubled water. Therefore, learn to love without prejudice, for when you show love to one another, you show love to the one who has created all things. 
Now that's enough just to bring tears to your eyes uh, when you hear Jesus saying, the Spirit of God saying, love will conquer every divide and will build a bridge over every troubled water. And so, you know, I didn't have a vision. I didn't hear audible words, but uh, just God beamed into me a time for love. Certainly agrees with what God's saying to, uh, to this lady here. And then he continued, Daughter, stop for one moment and consider the rainbow, seven colors, the number of completion and perfection. The rainbow speaks of my covenant with creation, and my covenant speaks to every tribe, tongue, and nation. For when the rainbow is seen, my covenant promises are reflected for all who are created in my perfect image. Well, that's true. Rainbows appear all over the world, don't they? To every single culture, tribe, tongue, and language. Now, the devil hates mankind. The devil hates mankind because they're created in God's image, and he hates God. So if people are in Christ, they'll feel God's delight in all the different races and languages. But listen to this. If they're not in God's kingdom, and you can't get into God's kingdom unless you're born into it. You have to be born again, Jesus said, or you'll never see the kingdom of God. You have to be born of the Spirit, he said, or you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So come to Christ, ask him to forgive you for your sins, tell him you receive him as your Lord, and then you'll be out of the devil's kingdom and spiritually your king will be Jesus, Satan's king of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is king of the kingdom of light. And when you get in the God's kingdom, uh, see, that's where you escape racism and you enter in his delight with people. But when people are not in God's kingdom, they will not be able to escape racism. I'm not talking about them being victims of racism. I'm talking they will not be able to escape practicing it. Now, there are only two spiritual kingdoms. They're not three. They're not four. There's only two. Christ is the king of the kingdom of God, and Satan is the king of the kingdom of darkness. Now, if the Christian influ- it was the Christian influence that ended slavery, all right? But even now, where people live in the devil's spiritual kingdom, there's still slavery, sexual slavery, and much more. The Chinese communists, for instance, who don't believe in God, um, persecute Muslim, I think they pronounce it Uyghurs. They also persecute blacks, not just Muslims. Here's an article. It says, migrants from sub-Saharan Africa have become the primary target of suspicion, racial discrimination, and abuse amid public fear of a second wave of COVID-19. And this intolerance has peaked in Gongzhou, a city of 12 million people in the highly industrialized Guangdong province. This is all in China. Uh, in Yuxi district, the largest African migrant community in China, many Africans were evicted by landlords despite having paid their rents and left to sleep rough on the streets. That was from The Guardian in the month of May 2020. So my point is, when people are not in the kingdom of God, they're going to be racist. They can say they're not, but they will be, all right? Because why? They're under the devil's influence. The devil hates everybody. <laughs> now, some say that the United States has racism as, it, as its very roots. And, of course, there were people that were here in the beginning who were not in the kingdom of God, but there were also many who were. So we have Christianity at the root of America, and more so than any other nation. 
Now, my point is, no one can escape the devil's hatred of people unless they come to Christ. You can think, I'm not racist. I'll get out there with those Black Lives Matter. I'll demonstrate with them. You just watch who you hate. If you're not in the kingdom of God, you're going to feel what the devil feels towards people. Now, nothing will keep the whites from hating the blacks if those white people are in the spiritual kingdom of Satan. And nothing will keep the blacks from hating the whites if those blacks are in the spiritual kingdom of Satan. And both blacks and whites and orientals, all races, will love each other and value each other if those people are really in the kingdom of God. Notice I'm not saying religious because sometimes people can be religious and claim to be Christians and be very bigoted. But in the kingdom of God, there's no racial, uh, there's no racism, no racial discrimination. They're all rejoicing together before the throne. Now, there's a popular folk song I used to sing. Uh, I think it was called The Merry Minuet. It was by the Kingston Trio back in the 1950s. And uh, I just remember part of the phrase goes, uh, part of the song, the whole world is festering with unhappy souls. The French hate the Germans. The Germans hate the Poles. Italians hate Yugoslavs. South Africans hate the Dutch. And I don't like anybody very much. Well, that's what it's like when people are in the kingdom of darkness. They may not realize it, but they're under the influence of the devil, and uh, he doesn't like people. Now, Peter wrote, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who's your enemy? Not the whites, not the blacks. The devil is your enemy. And Paul wrote, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the cops. It's not against... Uh, those who want to defund the cops. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Heavenly realms means in the atmosphere above the earth. Now, my third point, if you focus on the devil, you will attract him. Now, what if someone kept saying, uh, don't think about elephants. You're bad if you think about elephants. We must all stop thinking about elephants. This nation was founded on abusive thoughts towards elephants. You are all guilty of hatred of elephants. Now, what would you all be thinking about after you heard that? Well, you'd be thinking about elephants. Now, I believe the stronghold of racism was dying and losing its power in America, but this demonic stronghold doesn't want to give up, and it's struggling to make a comeback. And the more it's talked about, the greater and the faster it's comeback. Now, you see, what if we were talking about loving each other instead of racism, 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 racism? What if we were saying, let's love each other. Let's do good deeds for one another. Let's show love to other races. What would we be thinking about then? Well, we'd be thinking about, uh, as we should, how we can show God's love to people. But if all you think about is racism, this is racism, that's racism, believe me, you will attract racism. You will multiply it. The demons that specialize in racism will come to be glorified by your speech. I guess we could point out racism where it is. 
But if you overexpose the devil, see, I did that at one time in my ministry. I got to fight in the devil, and God had to correct me and say, you major on worship, minor on warfare, major on revealing Christ, and minor on exposing the devil. But when you major on exposing the devil, you attract the devil. I learned that the hard way. And when people are majoring on exposing racism, what are they doing? They're attracting the very thing they're yelling and screaming about. That's absolutely right. Now, Jesus said, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That would solve everything. That's the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12. If you spend your time thinking about what others did to you or what they didn't do for you, then, uh, you know, self-pity and a victim mentality will fill your life with anger and sadness and vengeance. What a deadly trio that is. I believe our Father in Heaven wants us to put ourselves in the shoes of inner-city blacks, of inmates in prison, of elderly saints who are full of wisdom but have been forgotten. Nobody visits them or asks them how they're doing or draws from their great uh, experiences. See, what if we started thinking, if I was that person, what would I want people be doing for me? Do unto others as ye would have them do to you. And that'll fulfill all the law, law and the prophets. That would fix all of society's ills. Now, in the same event, uh, but you can't really do that unless you're in Christ, all right? You'd be too selfish. In all the events where police kill someone or someone kills a policeman and the events where buildings and cities are set on fire, isn't it always a case that starts when the golden rule of Jesus isn't followed, it's so simple. You know, he said, love your enemies, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul wrote, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Why would we think about them? Well, then we just might do something lovely, something excellent, you see, something pure. And we just might do those good things that we think about. Well, then we need to really think about love and how we might show love to people. My fourth point, people who do not feel loved are angry people. Now, there's a lot of angry people. And it may be somewhat simplistic to say they're all angry because they don't feel or think they're loved. I know that's a generality, but it's basically accurate. There are a few ex exceptions, of course, why someone's angry. But in my opinion, self-pity is the root of the vast amount of anger. Now, when I pastored in Omaha years ago, a man came to our church who was a very angry man. And uh, we called him Big Mike, great big tall guy. But he was just a little child inside. He would often call me on the phone and just rant and rail at me. He'd come to church and just be yelling and screaming. And one day we were out in front of a building there on the church lawn and he was yelling and screaming at me, and I, and I just, I walked right up to him and just put my arms around him and hugged him, and he just put his head on my shoulder and started to cry. See? Why was he so angry? He didn't think anybody cared. He didn't think anybody loved him. Now, when the police are viewed as people who don't love us, then the mentality to defund the police rises up. See? And when the police think everybody hates us and mistreats us, 
then you can guarantee there'll be many more abuses that'll be bound to happen. But what will break the cycle of anger, self-pity, violence, and truly bad ideas? I think defunding the police is a really bad idea. It has to be the body of Christ who do more than go to church and who do more than watch church online. That's why this time is, as God beamed into me, a time for love. Now, it's a time for the body of Christ to do good, not just be good. And what a difference there is. You see, if we be good, that means we won't riot. We won't resist arrest. We won't throw urine on the cops. We won't burn down a building. We won't paint all the police with the brush of injustice and abuse. But not doing bad is not doing good. <laughs> Just not doing bad is not going to fix anything. It's the doing of good things that the actual doing of loving deeds, love and action, that's what dissipates anger, love and action. You can't just say, well, those people ought to follow the golden rule. You ought to follow. We ought to follow. I ought to follow the golden rule and be example to everyone else. Now, if people do not feel loved in a capitalistic society, they can be convinced that socialism will be better, but that's, of course, a deception. Socialism would bring poverty on everybody except a very few people at the top of the heap who would have oppressive power over everybody else. It has never worked anywhere. It's an disa absolute disaster. All freedoms are lost. But if people don't feel loved, then they can be convinced and uh, be deceived. See, reason just looks at history and says socialism has never worked. It'll plunge us all into poverty. Now, that's true. But without making the people feel loved, they, they won't care much for reason. Now, someone... John Maxwell said this many times, and I don't know that it's original with him. I just heard him say it more than others. People don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. That's an, an everlasting truth. They don't care how much you know. They don't care if your reasons are right. They want to know how much you care. Now, my fifth point is prayers combined with good deeds are very powerful. Prayers combined with good deeds are very powerful. Right now, it's of utmost importance that Christians pray for God to heal our nation. And we should repent of the sins of the fathers. George Washington, father of our country, he was a slaveholder and never freed the slaves until he wrote it in his will that his uh, slaves would be freed when he died. Well, but you see... Many of our early founding fathers were greatly influenced by the preachers and the Christians of that day. And George Washington never did take communion. He'd go to church, but he wouldn't take communion. Well, I don't believe he was a true Christian. So there was abuse of black slaves. And uh, in the gold rush days, the Chinese immigrants were really treated badly. The Native Americans were really treated badly. And we can repent and say, God, I don't know if my ancestors did anything bad, like, but I don't want anything to do with racism. And that's repenting for the sins of the fathers. But many prophetic voices have said that it's God's will that President Trump be our president for two terms. But friend, that could, you could have every prophet in the country prophesying that, and it wouldn't happen if it's not prayed in. Now, the Bible says if we ask anything according to God's will... He hears us. The prophetic words are just stating God's will. 
See, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will has to be prayed into effect. So the prophetic words can reveal that it's God's will. But if Christians don't pray, uh, then the devil's will gets done. Now, would you agree that we better really pray about the coming election? The radical left is out to destroy the foundations of righteousness. If they win, Christians are going to find out what it's like to live in a country where freedoms are removed and persecution is very real. And unless something happens to change the course of things, many of our uh, big cities that are controlled you know, for many years by very liberal governments, they're going to be plunged into terrible chaos, bankruptcy, riots, burning, looting, lawlessness, until martial law will have to be proclaimed and freedoms are lost. David Wilkerson, who... Uh, you know, started Teen Challenge, wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. He had a vision and had it several times of 1,000 fires burning out of control in New York City. That's never happened yet, but now New York City is going to defund 20% of the budget for the police. Many of the police are quitting or retiring because they're being so mistreated. It's going to be hard to get new police. Uh, there, some of them are even wanting to strike uh, and just not show up. Let the city find out what it's like without the police. Man, we are really close to the time when just absolute disaster could hit not only New York, but many of our major cities. Something very bad is going to happen if they keep uh, doing this defund the cops thing. I believe budgets should be increased to provide better training, and Christians should start praying for the police and maybe... Uh, one church I know has a room devoted to the police where they can come in and get coffee and treats and any time of the day or night because a lot of police show up at a restaurant and they don't know if somebody's going to put something bad in their food. I believe Christians ought to be really showing love to the police. You see, if the police don't police us, who is going to police us? It's going to be gangs or warlords or the army. But somebody would police us. Now, most of you would agree with me that all this stuff calls for great prayer, but now I want to take you to Isaiah 58, see? And God says, Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, that means your needy relatives... Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Now, you see, combining deeds of love and combining that with prayer gets the big answers. So right now, a lot of Christians are saying, Well, we really got to pray. We really got to pray. Yes, we really got to pray. But how about uh, sharing your bread with the hungry? How about doing something for the homeless? Uh, how about uh, getting clothes for the people that don't have any? All right, you get my point? Now, America needs massive answers to prayer. I believe we're one election away from losing all of our freedoms. Many are being lost already. The freedom of speech 
is being taken away, not by the government, but by society itself, when alternate viewpoints are not tolerated. Freedom of speech, you say, yeah, but I don't like that. What well, that guy says, we won't allow that. And then he gets fired just for having a little alternate viewpoint. Let's not take away our own freedoms. But you see, the farther the nation gets away from God, the less freedom we'll have. It's a law of the Spirit. Paul wrote, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But where the Spirit of the Lord is driven away or rejected, there's bondage, intolerance, hatred. Now, at this critical time, do you think the Holy Spirit is saying to his people, pray? It all depends on your prayers. Well, he is saying that, but that's only partially what he's saying. If I'm hearing him right, God is saying, Go show my love to somebody. Actually do good deeds. Combine prayer with that, and I'll give you massive answers to prayer. So my question, where are you going to volunteer? Now, my earthly father's name, Donald Edward Doffenbaugh, and when he retired from ranching, he got involved with Meals on Wheels, delivering meals to shut-ins. And he did, he did that for more than 20 years until he was not able to drive anymore. And he got a award, a volunteer of the year in the state of South Dakota, presented to him by the governor. My sister, Donine Grimm, uh, she volunteers with some organization that connects pen pals with people in prisons. So she writes handwritten letters to prisoners. My mother, when she was alive, Florence Ruth Doffenbach, 20-some years uh, she volunteered to do medical records at a hospital, worked lots of hours for free. Now... It's easier to volunteer if you're retired and have time. But if you are retired and have time, by all means, find some way to volunteer and help somebody. And then pray. Combine prayers and loving action. Now, perhaps you say, well, I don't know what to do and I don't know who to help. Well, ask God to guide you. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And you also can go online on many so search engines. Google is the most popular. And Google volunteer opportunities. See what, see what you can find. Seek and you shall find. Ask God. The door will open. Now, another way is to open your own eyes and your own heart. What needs do you see? That's indicative of your own calling and spiritual gifts. God opens your eyes to the needs that you're called to. So what is God making you aware of? I'm sure that the Spirit of God is calling us to show love to hurting people in tangible ways, and you must do something. He has many different missions and ways to help, such a huge variety, and one predestined way for you. See, the Bible says you are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. Now, I'm... One of the things I'm called to, I'm supposed to get a soul-winning tract printed by the thousands and supply those to chaplains to use in prisons. I've got it all written. I've got the cartoons. I just need some money to finish it. I need about $1,500 to get uh, 5,000 of those printed, and that'll be one of the most powerful tracts, soul-winning things I've ever produced. And then we'll have to get sponsors, but to get them in prisons will basically be you know, giving them at the printing cost, it'll be a purely... I've been praying, see, I said, God, uh, I want a sewing machine. 
You say, what does that have to do with winning souls? Well, everything you know about God is your box of thread, and your method is your needle. You know, if you have thread but no needle, you can't get the thread into any material. In the same way, everything you know about God is your box of thread, but your method is your needle. And I've been telling God, I want to win more souls. I I don't want just a needle. I want a sewing machine. And God has been answering my prayer with this vast open door into the American prison systems now. We're we're poised, the stage is set, to have not just a few books going into prisons, the 21 ways to forgive, but maybe up to 2,000 a month and then greater numbers after that. We're poised. We're right on the edge of that. And this soul-winning tract will be just another thing. So I'm just telling you that's what I see to do. I'm called to serve chaplains. I don't know if they're black or white or Hispanic. Uh, I just know they're trying to win people to Jesus, and I want to do what Abigail said when David's servants came to take her as a wife. She said, let me be a servant to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. I believe that's the very heart of the bride of Christ. I'm supposed to train people in spiritual leadership. Uh, I'm supposed to write a book about spiritual liberty so people can get delivered from spiritual oppression. And I must be about my father's business. Now, in the same way, God's going to show you the works he's prepared in advance for you to do. Do them, show love to people, combine that with prayer, and we can see a revival instead of the destruction of our nation. My sixth point, someday soon, King Jesus will say, I was in prison. Now, we can get an idea of what we could and should be doing from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 when at the day of judgment he said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then in verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, there's a church called Umpqua Valley First Assembly of God in Myrtle Creek that have been great friends to me, and some of the women there are taking a trip out to an Indian reservation and uh, they have to buy their own plane tickets. They fly there. Now, these Native Americans live up above 7,000 feet elevation. It gets really cold there. And so they're collecting clothing, blankets, warm coats, and other items of clothing. So, you know, I'm going to go through our house. I think we got a lot of extra coats. I'm going to see what I can donate, thinking the king needs some warm clothing. <laughs> All right? Now, for many years, we've asked our partners to donate funds near Christmas time for uh, cha- uh, Pastor John Namavarpu in India because right around the end of the year, he always has uh, a celebration where they give dresses, one dress per widow, and blankets to the poor elderly people. Well, that's a wonderful thing. Now, my recent focus has been on inmates in American prisons and jails. There's 2.3 million incarcerated people now, and that doesn't count the many more people on probation. Of those, a disproportionate number are African Americans. Many are women, 
And if a young woman is put in prison on a drug charge, she loses custody of her children. So there's just all kinds of heartache there in the prisons. From 1970 to 2014, there was a 14-fold increase in the number of women being imprisoned. But right now, the fastest-growing prison category is men over 50. Now, as I write this, we have placed, uh, you know, as I'm preaching this, we've placed 1,930 copies of my book, 21 Ways to Forgive, with chaplains in 30-plus prisons and jails in 14 states. And someone recently suggested that I put a follow-up card in each book, and I haven't done that because I need a donation for that. But what a great idea. Now, what if a prisoner got a book, got great help from the book, but discovered a card in it that said, someone cares about you. Please write your name, inmate number, prison address, and your prayer request. And then we leave some space for them to write it, and not just be a box with questions where all they do is just check little things and can't express themselves. And then we'd say, tell us your greatest need. How has this book helped you? Would you recommend it for others? We'd have to have a prepaid postage thing uh, so that no stamp would be needed. It cost money to set that up as well. It cost money to print the cards. But then after, suppose, I, suppose we get these books out like we think we can, about 2000 a month if we get matching grants. And suppose I had a card in each one. Well, pretty soon then I'd be getting all kinds of prayer requests from prisoners, and I'd need all kinds of volunteers <clears throat> who might uh, write to these people and express some care and pray for them. Now, many of these prisons and jails are just overcrowded, uh, some operated 150% of capacity. I think I found one that was said it was like at 161% of capacity. That means they're just overcrowded. Many at 130%. Did you know the largest women's prison in the world is in Chowchilla, California? I read an article and it was 10 years old, so it might be that things have improved. But it said the women there can work, but they were working for so little money at the prison that they didn't have enough money to buy their own feminine products. See, so the more you dig into the prison stuff, the, the more of the vast human need you see for somebody to care. Now, this last week, I called back uh, chaplains where we'd sent sample books in 2019, and I immediately had requests for over 250 more books, and one of the chaplains, who has a huge... Uh, prison there in uh, Mernard, Illinois, with a death row, said, send as many as you can. One of the other chaplains said, well, you've sent us enough this year, but I would like 200 a year for the next five years. One chaplain said, just send as many as you can. So we have uh, many, many that are requesting boxes of 25. Now, if I was to call all the chaplains where I've sent sample books in 2020, I'm sure that I would have a waiting list of people requesting books that would be well over 1,000 books. Now, we're on the verge of reprinting 21 Ways to Forgive, and uh, we believe we can keep that reprinting price at about a dollar, which will help us so our sponsors don't have to pay you know, big higher prices. Many of the prisoners are Hispanic, and I'm really wanting to get the book translated into Spanish. You can get an online translator for about $500, or 
We have, I think we have 250 for that, but I'd need about uh, 280 more. Now, I've been sending out sample books with letters to Christian foundations asking for matching grants. I mean, we've sent probably 40 different packets or more because if I can get matching grants, we could probably place 2,000 books a month into the prisons, the federal, state, and local. And I'd love to have you pray about that. It's a nice-sounding number because of the shipping and what the books cost, uh, 2000 a month would cost $77,700. Doesn't that sound spiritual? No. Many of these chaplains are volunteers or volunteer coordinators. If you checked with the prisons and said, I'd like to talk to your volunteer coordinator, what, what do you think the coordinator would say? I bet you that they would open a door for you to maybe teach a class in a prison or jail. And my whole point is, hey, we've got to have prayer, but we've got to combine it with love. It's a time for love. Now, one of the things I was going to say at the very end of this message is if you're cold, you exercise and it keeps you alive. If your love is growing cold, you got to exercise your love, and it'll heat back up. All right, so this is a time when we need to exercise our love. Now, my seventh point, I want to say some other things that matter. We've got to be saying, I love you with our time, our money, our prayers, and with Holy Spirit-directed voting. And as I meditate on the word Black Lives Matter, I think about black parents who are forced to have their children in horribly failing inner-city schools. If you read the statistics on how few are literate when they graduate, how many drop out, it's just astounding. So if black lives matter, then why not give all the black parents vouchers and give them a choice so they could go send their kids to whatever school they wanted to? You see, if black lives matter, then black fathers matter. And for years, the government has... incentivized single-parent homes because of the way the welfare is structured. It's almost made it easy for people to divorce and children grow up fatherless. Now, if we could fix it so the incentive is for mothers and fathers to stay together, well, that would solve a lot of problems. Now, there are many radical feminists that would say fathers are not needed, that two mothers are just fine, but I say black fathers matter, and statistics back that up. Now, I never put this together, but have you ever wondered why so many people are starting to claim they're transgender? It didn't used to be that way when I was a kid. I'm 70 years old, so (laughs) it goes back a ways. But here's a thought. The rise in gender identity crisis has followed the rise in divorce and the, arise, uh, and the rise in fatherless homes. First came all the divorce where the society said, well, it won't hurt the kids. I remember one time my marriage was going through a terrible time and, and, and God said to me, how long did it take Noah to save his family? I said, it took him about 100 years to build the ark. He said, I want a 100-year commitment out of you to save your family. He didn't say save your marriage. He said, I want a hundred-year commitment out of you to save your family. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone who's gone through divorce. All I'm saying is when divorce is looked at as a light thing, it's not. When kids are raised in uh, fatherless homes, it's very difficult for them. Now, I found this quote. 
I'm going to read it, and some people would have a violent reaction to it, I'm sure, but it says this, Gender role development was assessed in 52 father absent and 54 father present African-American adolescents. Father present boys, especially those from lower income background, had a higher perception of their masculinity than did father absent boys. Lower income uh, father absent girls perceived themselves to be higher in masculinity than, than did all other girls. Consequently, father present adolescents tended to have more traditional gender role orientations than those in father absent homes. It is argued that mothers and fathers' different socializing strategies balance out in two-parent homes. However, in father absent homes, mothers' tendency to rely on and pressure their daughters fosters relatively more masculine girls, whereas a lack of father socialization fosters less masculine boys. Now, in my notes on this, I put the big old website thing. It's too many numbers to read here audibly. Uh, but you could find that link to that story. The article was written in 2005. But so that makes great sense to me. I've been wondering, is, is this transgender stuff, is there so much uh, birth control hormones going into the water supplies that it's, uh, it affects the fish? <laughs> Sometimes the fish are affected by all the chemicals, uh, the birth control stuff it flushes down the toilets and into the water rivers and the uh, fish are all messed up. Well, that might be a factor, who knows? But I tell you what, I think fatherless homes is producing a whole lot of people confused about their gender. Now, I'm, a, I'm not saying I'm a he-man, but I'm definitely a, a man. And uh, when I see young men with their nails painted and acting like they're girls, I just, I can't say that I look on them with compassion, but I'm, I'm now, I'm able to think, I wonder, I wonder if that young man had a father in the home. Well, that means black marriages matter. All marriages matter. But to see, what if, if black lives matter, then black marriages matter, and little black kids in fatherless homes, they need some person, that, a dad figure that would enter into their life and, and give them that male influence. Then what about volunteers working to counsel marriages? If you know how to have a successful marriage, maybe you could help black couples. There's all kinds of ways to volunteer. What about black babies? Do they matter? 40% of all pregnancies of black mothers in New York City end in abortion. Now, there's a cause to get involved in. Listen to this quote from Jesse Jackson from 1984. Before he, before he changed, he called abortion black genocide, and he compared abortion to slavery. Now, according to Jackson, the idea that a baby was the personal property of the mother and that she could do whatever she pleased with the child was the premise of slavery. You could not protest the existence or uh, uh, treatment of slaves on the plantation because that was private and therefore outside of your right to be concerned. So at the end of the 1977 March for Life, 
Jackson asked this question, what happens to the moral fabric of a nation that accepts the aborting of a life of a baby without a pang of conscience? Now, this is from uh, an article. You get our notes, you can see where that quote comes from. So how about volunteering at a pro-life women's pregnancy center? And then what about black police mattering? Of course, all our police matter, but our police departments have many uh, policemen and uh, police women who are, are black. And they're getting raged against, too. They're getting treated, mistreated. All this present rage against the police is misguided. Perch out the bad ones, but show respect and love to the rest who put their lives on the line to keep us safe. It's not the police that are problem. It's the devil. The devil's the problem. How can we show God's love to the police? Surely they need our prayers and love more than ever. Well, friend, listen to me now. If I knew how and where you should volunteer to show God's love, if I knew that for each one of you, I would be God. But I'm not God. He's the one that has to direct you, so seek him. Now I'm coming to my conclusion here. Isaiah wrote about Christ that he would be anointed with the sevenfold spirit of God. And these seven spirits, they're all aspects of the Holy Spirit, but they're the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and the spirit of the delight in the fear of the Lord, which is the joy of the Lord. That's from Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. Now, you say, well, why isn't one of those spirits the spirit of love? See, you got wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, power, fear of the Lord, delight in the fear of the Lord. There's no love in there. The answer is that God is love and God's wisdom is full of love. God's understanding is full of love. God's power is full of love. Love is through all of it. Now, when our city councils, our mayors, and our governors are exercising knowledge and wisdom and understanding to solve problems, if that knowledge and wisdom doesn't come from God's love, it turns into craziness. I watched an article, an online visit, uh, video called Seattle is Dying. If you Google that, maybe you could find it. Seattle has the second highest crime rate in the nation just behind uh, San Francisco. I didn't say murder rate. I said uh, crime rate. It's caused by a huge, huge homeless population. And the video showed all these homeless encampments up and down the sides of the freeways and in uh, downtown areas and all the trash around them and people defecating in the streets and clearly insane people wandering around. And, and the police are hindered from doing their jobs. And even if they arrest the criminals, the justice system there lets them right back out. And if I remember right, it was something like only 7% of the rest get prosecuted and the police are just giving up. Now, as they interviewed people in that video, the, the, many of the people were saying 100% of the homeless have a drug problem. Well, if, see, so they call it a homeless crisis, but it's actually a drug crisis. Now, who's giving these people all the money to buy those expensive drugs? Has our welfare system somehow become a source of money for addictions? Because if you start digging into that, I just know it's a terrible problem, but the problem is not homelessness. 
It's addiction. So what kind of false love and false understanding is, is at the root of this problem? See, if, it, if it's understanding and wisdom and knowledge that doesn't come from God's love, it, it, it turns crazy. All right. Now, many of our cities are becoming unlivable because of the wisdom and understanding and love that isn't God's kind. We must have God's kind of love that's rich in real wisdom, real knowledge, real understanding, and power to solve every problem. Now, perhaps the out-of-control things that we're seeing in our cities will wake people up, and as a nation, they'll see that we really need to come back to God because where the Spirit of the Lord isn't, there isn't liberty. We must come back to God, and we must pray that God will enlighten the spiritual eyes of our nation to see the wrong paths need to horrible, lead to horrible ends. But my friend, it's not a time to despair. It's not a time to fear or hide or gripe. It's a time to love. The increase of wickedness, the love of many, you know, in that time, the love of many will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end, right? Well, we've got to stand firm in love to the end. It's a time for love, a time for action of good deeds, love spoken in truth. Truth is... Boy, truth is being persecuted. We've got to speak the truth, but speak it in love, no matter what. And then we've got to have loving deeds combined with very earnest loving prayers. So, friend, may you live out the love of God at his direction. And may that be combined with his power, because love and power combined equal compassion. Anytime Jesus felt compassion, there was a great display of his power. May you speak words of wisdom and truth, always combined with love. And then this great verse, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let your love grow cold. Remember, if we're cold, we can jump around and exercise and get warm. We can even get hot. Well, let us exercise our love so it will never grow cold. Stand firm in love. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485 Cresswell, Oregon 97426.